Every time I go to Eastern Kentucky, it's like going home. Uh, everyone's nice. They're hard workers. If you shake somebody's hand, they, they need it. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. Appalachia Meets World, we're back. Another episode. It's Will and Neil. What up, bro? Hey, everything is going good. Up above the border, all is well. All, all is well. What's happening down there? And uh, six is hot. We are on our final episode of the Appalachian Foodway series. We've had some national organization. We had a national organization on. We have some makers. We'll close it out with some policy. Yep. But yep. Wanted to just get into where you're from and see what's going on. Did you do anything yeah. this past weekend? Yeah, man. So <clears throat> spent some time over in Elizabethtown, which is not too far from London, at a family wedding. And it was a, a beautiful event. Got a chance to see some folks that we hadn't seen in a while and share some stories with them. Told them a little bit about Appalachian Meets World. But the best part of it all was, you know, you go to a wedding, then you go to the reception and my mind always floats directly to what are we eating? And as I was talking to, to the bride's dad, he was like, oh, man, I'm really excited about the food that everybody's going to get to partake in. And I was like, really? What is it? He said, well, we couldn't make up our mind. So we just had this, this company do just a ton of appetizers. Yeah, and I was like, yes, that is awesome. So I got to sample the best appetizers in the history of mankind. That is awesome. So their wedding just had appetizers. Yes, it was just like every appetizer you can think of, man. Every dip, every. Uh, that sounds like a little slice of heaven. Oh, oh, it was it was what? perfect. Appalachian is what it was. It Appalachian. was perfect. What was the, what was um, the best one? Man, they had these, ah, gosh, it's hard to say which was the best, but most unique maybe was they had like uh, miniature bite-sized waffles with chicken in between them. Chicken nice. and waffles yeah. with fried chicken in between the waffles and nice. a little bit of syrup drizzled on it. <laughs> I was like, Oh man, that is a great idea. Was it one of those one of those weddings where they walked around and you had to grab it, or you they had them laid out and you could not? They had like because of because of COVID, you know. Yeah. They kind of had things set up to where everybody was getting their own appetizer at a station, you know. But yeah, it was it was very well done. Uh, The reception was outside. It was a beautiful Kentucky summer night. Couldn't have been more perfect, but um, I got a chance to catch up with family that we don't get to see much, so I I thoroughly enjoyed it. So it was it was oh, a good time. I know what made it more perfect: appetizers, baby. Appetizers, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Get some recipes. Oh man, these people are the best cooks anyway. So <laughs> I need to be getting all those appetizer recipes for sure. Hey man, I, I heard from a little birdie that uh, 
you no longer have layers. A little birdie, man. They lied to you. And in case somebody hadn't figured it out yet, every time Will hears from a little birdie, it's mom or dad. <laughs> so, I heard your I chickens. Still, I, I heard your chickens got, are shot. I still got two chickens that are laying. But two for some reason, I got six, only five layers. But for some reason, they've really slowed down. So I've been like quizzing my all my friends that are in the business, you know, all my friends that got chickens in their backyard, which narrows it down to like two people. So <laughs> I asked my buddy today, actually, I was like, what's the deal? And he, he said that sometimes it's just like a seasonal thing that sometimes during when the fall of the season starts to hit, they don't really lay as regularly as they normally do. So I need to ask our guest about that tonight, too. I don't know if I'll have time, but uh, I, I may, I may you, ask you. You typically make time for chicken. <laughs> yeah, you, you know I'll find time <laughs> to throw a chicken story in. <laughs> hey, let me ask you, speaking of eggs and chickens, you ever go to – I know London has one. Pretty much everyone has one. Of course we days. do. Do you frequent the farmer's markets in your yeah, town? I was, I was hoping you were going to ask me that because I was kind of going to give London a shout out on this. You know, we do have a farmer's market downtown, and I am not a frequent visitor of the farmer's market. However, every Tuesday, we also have a what I refer to as a, another farmer's market that is at the stock sale. You remember the stock sale in London? Yeah. So literally every farmer around comes to the stock sale on Tuesdays and, and sell they sell fresh crops there on Tuesdays nice. and it's like I walk through usually at least once a month I'll pop in there on Tuesday but <laughs> you can find anything and everything so it's it's really neat it's still like it's like a little tradition that continues it's every Tuesday and it's that's cool you have one downtown too though right yeah 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 we got one downtown yeah um, uh, and let me ask you this why don't why aren't aren't you a frequent Honestly, it's because the, the times that they're open, are, I usually have other events going on. Yeah, honestly. I mean, yeah, yeah that uh, timing is always an issue with farmers market. But farmers markets are important for for a community. Not only not only does it keep your money local and yeah. support farmers, but it it supports the community as a whole. I mean, I've seen numbers out there that people that go to farmers market also shopping local shops in town um support you, you know the the spillover effect they support the local shops as well as the farmers at the farmers market it's just like a community event it brings people together sometimes yeah. farmers markets don't last because it's hard for a farmer to you know bring their stuff and and make enough money to have the roi the return on their investment but you know, the more we can support them, the more important it is for a community. I know during COVID, Kentucky fought tooth and nail to keep farmers markets open because they yeah. deemed them as essential, which I thought was an important point to show how important farmers markets are to a community. Yep. Uh, I, I totally agree. You know, ours, ours has been a good staple in the community for a long time, and hopefully it will continue to grow and prosper and you know, our second farmer's market there at the stock sale is also very, very much thriving. There's nothing better for a farmer than direct to consumer sales. And that's exactly yeah. what a, a what a I, farmer's market does. And I, I decided a few years ago during my, and I, and I always talk about my kids and their entrepreneur spirits, but uh, we had a garden three years ago 
and I decided after that garden experience that the farmer's market was going to be our new garden. So uh, <laughs> we replaced our garden with the farmer's market for sure. That's perfect. I, I did look up some numbers. I, I saw that from USDA just in regards to family farms. So family farms make up 98% of overall farms in the U.S. and 88% of the production. Just in Appalachia, of all the regional farms that we have, which, which are a lot, over 18,000 of the farms have direct to consumer sales. And so that's typically at wow. farmers markets. And just to point out, the Appalachian Regional Commission is going to be coming out with a report in the fall that details the local food in Appalachia. Uh, while the USDA numbers are for the country, ARC's numbers will be specifically for Appalachia. And they'll take those numbers and they'll compare it with the rest of the country and also provide best practices throughout Appalachia. So look for that report. It'll be very interesting information and valuable for anyone interested in farming and farmland and farm numbers and farm production in Appalachia. But also saw during COVID that over half of the farmers markets, they accept SNAP. That would be food stamps, which I think is a cool thing to do with, yeah. with SNAP dollars. Because a lot of times you, you, you take SNAP to, to, to the grocery and you can't, can't get fresh fruits like you can at farmer's market. And to have over half in Appalachia accepting SNAP dollars, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's a that's a very good point. I'm glad you uh, glad you are the, on top of the research, baby. That's why I hired you. <laughs> also, <laughs> I also heard about this cool thing that they were doing during COVID in regards to SNAP, but SNAP double bucks, where oh. local local organizations would donate money, and so it would double benefits when someone only if someone shopped at a farmer's market. So if, if a local person that had SNAP benefits, they if they shopped at a farmer's market, a local organization would donate twice as much to them. So basically they get double the SNAP dollars at, to spend at farmer's market. Because a lot, of, a lot of times what keeps people from buying in farmer's market is it tends to be a little bit more yeah. than the grocery store, obviously, for obvious yeah. reasons. But yeah. I thought that was a cool thing that they were doing during COVID. And I think they continue to do that. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully our guest tonight can answer that. I'm pretty sure he'll have the background on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to, to have Commissioner Ryan Quarles uh, of Kentucky. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, you know, I've been a fan for a long time of, of uh, Ryan and have met him before, but I'm looking forward to uh, – really having more of an in-depth conversation with him here here on the show. Yeah, I, I am too. I wanted to, right before we get into it, I wanted to point out a few organizations that support farmers markets in Appalachia. One of them is ACENET in Ohio. They, they support entrepreneurs and farmers and, and farmers markets. The Community Farm Alliance in Kentucky, Sprouting Farms in West Virginia, uh, the West Virginia Food and Farm Coalition, the Appalachian RC&D Council in Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. All these organizations and also the Farmers Market Coalition is a national organization. All these organizations support farmers and farmers markets and help communities to organize around farmers markets and, 
and just keep it thriving. And I, I just feel like they're an important aspect to a community, especially in Appalachia. Awesome. All right. So uh, how about it? How about we get Commissioner Quarles on and, and get this thing rolling? Dial him up. Today on the episode, we have a special guest, the commissioner of the Kentucky State Department of Agriculture, or maybe more importantly, doctor. Do we call you doctor commissioner Quarles now? I respond to much less. You know, being in politics, you called many names. Uh, I'll take commissioner or doctor. You just call me Ryan. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Ryan, or commissioner, we definitely thank you for being on the show. It's an honor, and, and we appreciate you taking the time. No, I'm always glad to talk about Kentucky Proud, talk about what's new uh, across the Commonwealth. You know, we just finished up our Kentucky State Fair, which is like the Super Bowl of agriculture in Kentucky. Yeah, you know, uh, despite COVID, I think it was a really well-run state fair, lots of deep fried food and uh, lots of 4-H and FFA exhibits from around Kentucky. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was going to get try to get into that later, but it's is it still the number one state fair in the country? Well, we like to think so. Uh, the most recent poll had us, I think, number two in the nation. But look, we're definitely top no matter where you go. And and you got to stop and think about that, that Kentucky's a relatively small state that when you look at our state fair, it punches above its weight class, especially when you compare us to, say, Texas, uh, which has well over a million visitors each year to iconic state fairs in the Midwest. Uh, Kentucky does really well. One of the cool things that we do is that a lot of our events are indoors. And so other state fairs are outside completely. Us, we've got uh, 1.3 million square feet of air-conditioned ground. And that's just a long-winded way of saying we have really nice facilities. But it's a lot of fun. I wanted to start with a question that we ask all our guests before we really get rolling. Neil and I are both from Appalachia, as you know. And, and as Appalachians are big on tradition, our families are big on tradition as well. And one of those traditions, we have appetizers at the holidays. Huge spread of appetizers. Usually it's bigger than the meal, but we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or holiday dish? Oh, I love um, miniature hot browns uh, appetizers. Like, you know, they're kind of simple to make. Miniature? Miniature hot browns. And so nice. size of like a half dollar and it's it's a crust, it's a cheese, uh, a creamy cheese and then usually a piece of bacon on top. And so that is perfect. I love a, I love a good hot brown, but I've never seen a little one. Well, that's one of those uh, appetizers that, as you just said, that'll fill you up and, and, and finish off dinner before you even sit down. So. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Just to let our listeners know, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Department of Agriculture is the second largest department in the state government. Can you just yeah. let our listeners know, I, I know you also have regulatory services, but can you let our listeners know kind of what you cover and what the, what the department does? Yeah, so the Department of Agriculture obviously focused on agriculture. We do everything from counting fairs to overseeing infectious diseases across animal welfare. We work with the horse industry every day. We're also out there providing support capacity for Kentucky Proud Agritourism, the ginseng market, which is big in eastern Kentucky, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But one of the more surprising things that people don't realize that we do is that we're actually one of the state's largest regulatory agencies. And I like to tell Kentuckians that if you buy a tank of gas, if you weigh your truck on the side of the interstate, if you were to buy or sell gold at a pond store, 
if you were to buy a bag of mulch, if you were to ride a Ferris wheel, rent a backyard inflatable, uh, if you were to fly out of any Kentucky airport, it's the Kentucky Department of Agriculture that plays a consumer protection role. A lot of our employees, about half of them, don't have offices in Frankfurt. They have a truck and they're traveling the state every single day, making sure that we provide consumer protection. And that includes making sure that timely inspections are done. A lot of this is prescribed by law through the Kentucky General Assembly. And so sometimes we're like the island of misfits because we have inspection duties a lot of people are simply just not aware of. Yeah, yeah, I knew you did much more than what people realize. One thing that Neil and I spoke of earlier were before we got on with you were the importance of farmers markets. Not only yeah. how important they are for small scale farmers, but how important they are for community. And one aspect to that is kind of what your department focuses on, but bringing farmers direct to consumer. And, and as part of that, you mentioned it earlier, Kentucky Proud, which is a marketing piece of your uh, department that kind of takes that farmer direct to consumer, which could be through farmer's market or elsewhere, but, or restaurant, restaurant menus. I know you, I've heard you speak yeah. about in the past. Can you talk a little bit about Kentucky Proud and how significant it, it, it is and important it is to farmers in Kentucky? Look, the closer you can get a farmer from the farm gate to your dinner plate, the more money is going to be made and stayed right here in Kentucky. And so the whole point of Kentucky Proud is to try to connect our farmers with everything restaurant, everything grocery store, everything crafts, et cetera, et cetera. And so the Kentucky Proud program is really considered Kentucky's most successful marketing program. We have over 10,700 members. I like to remind people, that for those 10,000 plus people, Kentucky Proud is really an economic development tool because what might start off as a hobby on the weekends, turn in a grandma's apple pie recipe into uh, a pie that you sell at farmer's markets or a part-time beekeeping, uh, backyard beekeeping uh, interest now turns into an actual business. For a lot of our Kentucky Proud members, this is about achieving dreams. And what's happened during COVID is that a lot of Kentuckians, including myself, started to learn how to cook again in your own kitchens. And so 2020 was a big uh, local food year for us. And so we're trying to transition in 2021 that this is not a fad, that buying Kentucky Proud is something that's permanent. And there's no easier way to do that than to go to a farmer's market. We have 173 farmer's markets in our state. It's September. A lot of our produce is still in season right now. And not only do you get to buy locally produced food that tastes great, that's nutritious, but you actually get to meet the farmer that actually produced it. And a lot of people like that. They like that story behind agriculture where their food comes from. And so whether it's getting new products on the shelves of Kroger or our grocery stores, which is a big part of our business, it's also about connecting our restaurants and our chefs with local farms. And so if you sit down at say like the Wrigley or other Eastern Kentucky restaurants, you can actually see which farm those ingredients came from. And that's something that's not going away and it's only gonna increase. In this past year, we've also have helped promote locally processed meats. And so there's actually a few meat processors down in your neck of the woods that we've helped publicly support so that people can buy locally produced, bread fed animals as well. One other uh, part of that is significant to us is, is Appalachia Proud. I know that's something that you started. Uh, Neil has, he likes to talk to all our guests about the chickens that he raises. And uh, I think yeah. he's trying to get an Appalachian Proud sticker uh, as part of that. Can you talk about the significance of Appalachian Proud, why you started that, why it's important for Eastern Kentucky? 
Well, Kentucky Proud is very successful, but we didn't stop there. We actually have a couple sub-brands. We have a Kentucky Proud program that's just for our military veterans and military family, families called Homegrown by Heroes. But we also have one that's designated just for Eastern Kentucky. It's called Appalachia Proud. And it has its own sticker and own logo. It has an iconic tobacco barn in it, as well as the rolling uh, hills and uh, mountains of Eastern Kentucky in the background. And just yesterday in Lexington, Kentucky, I met with an Appalachia Proud member who is proudly saying, look, we're not just Kentucky Proud, but we're from Eastern Kentucky. We're going to sell our goods in Lexington and tell that story. And so one of the things that we've done during my administration is that we've rebranded the program. We've provided financial support for it. But also, we aligned which counties are eligible to use that with ARC and with SOAR. So if you're in a SOAR or ARC county, you, uh, if you want to, can elect to be Appalachia Proud. And that's a designation that's protected just for Eastern Kentucky. And I think it's a great thing because every time I go to Eastern Kentucky, I was there in uh, Lee County and Owsley County and Breathitt County last week. It's a lot about family traditions. It's a lot about cultural aspects that can help sell a product as well, uh, whether it's uh, turning corn into bourbon or, uh, or other dishes or jams and jellies that may have been passed down to the generations. That's a special designation. That's why I think Appalachia Proud is so successful. Neil, do you want to talk about your chickens? Yeah, I was just going to mention, uh, I have an abundance of chickens. I have six. So uh, we're starting small down here in London, but my son is the real entrepreneur. He's 11. has oh. really taken interest in uh, getting a bunch of eggs all the time. So we're, we're awful proud of our, of our uh, six chickens that uh, provide food for the family. Well, you're making Colonel Sanders proud by uh, being a chicken farmer yourself. That's great. I was, I'm also a former Bojangles uh, franchisee. <laughs> So me, me and the Colonel go way back. <laughs> That's great. You, you spoke of uh, family traditions. When Neil and I grew up, our papa had about 500 acres over in Virginia, right mm-hmm. on the border of Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia. He was, he was kind of a weekend warrior. He, he grew up on a farm. So he had, he had that um, where he would go on the weekends. But one of the first things he grew was tobacco which was, you know, huge in Kentucky. But we saw that even through our life where he transitioned out of tobacco. We would go over there. He would be growing corn. He would be be growing pumpkins. Just anything to keep some crops on on his land to keep keep the farm going. I know back in the heyday, tobacco, there were about 85,000 tobacco farms in Kentucky. It was over a billion dollar industry. That's reduced to to around 4,000 today. But how is your... How is the state or how is your department helping those farmers transition, not only in the past, but now from tobacco to other crops? And what new crops have we seen come up in, in Kentucky, especially in eastern Kentucky on those coal impacted communities or on those strip mine land areas? Look, you nailed it on the head. Tobacco used to be king in, in Kentucky. It was responsible for one third of all farm cash receipts and we went from 85,000 growers, and we just got some new numbers, and we're now at 2,000 or less growers. There's been a mass exodus. My family still grows it. I was in the tobacco patch this weekend. We still raised 10 acres. But every time I see tobacco, it reminds me of how many Christmases, how many farms, how many college tuition bills, how many first-time trucks or cars that were purchased through working in tobacco. And, and it's just not what it is, what it used to be. 
And so Kentucky had no choice. In the past 20 years, we knew that we would have to transition. And I think we've done it pretty well. We've done it by diversifying. And so one thing that we've done is that we've increased our presence in cattle, increased our presence in poultry, uh, and we've also increased value that. So actually some of our cattle herds uh, and poultry herds have the strongest genetics uh, really in the world. So we're selling Kentucky-grown genetics around the world, and that's something that we chose to focus on. Another thing I think that's unique to Eastern Kentucky is that obviously we have strong farmers markets, but we're starting to see a resurgence in lamb and goats. And lamb used to be a big part of Eastern Kentucky. In fact, Kentucky prior to World War II was the second biggest sheep state in the nation. And I'm actually working with some Southeastern Kentucky lamb producers right now as we speak to relaunch a Kentucky branded lamb product and it used to be an Easter meal. That used to be the meal, uh, Easter lamb. And so the good news is, is that we can sell lamb outside of Easter because we have a, a truly national market. And Kentucky, in the past few years, is really focused on getting the infrastructure in so that this could be something big for Eastern Kentucky. Because let me tell you, both goats and sheep, you don't need flat land. They run, they run well on hillsides. And from the research that we've seen, they seem to do well on reclaimed coal mines uh, land. And so that's something we're working on right now as we speak. Tobacco paid the bills for many generations of Kentuckians. And I think that if you talk to other states and said, hey, if I took your number one industry out of your state, how would you look 20 years later? I don't think that they would have been as successful because we were able to immediately change and we went from $3 billion in farm cash receipts back in tobacco's heyday, and now we're at $6 billion. So not only did we replace the number one crop, but we've actually have grown and almost doubled the size of our ag economy. And it wasn't an easy route, but we did it together. And I think that compared to other states, we did just fine. And, uh, and for some of us to still grow it, if you want to work in tobacco and get those feelings of nostalgia back, uh, come let us know. I won't charge you a dime if you want to come strip tobacco this fall. <laughs> I, don't think that's the, lane. I don't think that's the easiest crop to invite people to, to, to participate in. <laughs> I got a couple of boys. I might sign up for that in a couple of years. Well, it, it, it brings you back down to earth real quick, uh, working in tobacco. Absolutely. So, so speaking to that point, back down to earth. So some of the cool things that you get to do as being the commissioner of ag is you get to go shoot doves with the University of Kentucky's head football coach and Brett Setzer, who may or, people may or may not know. But uh, anyway, so I know you get to do that, some, some fun stuff on the weekends. But can you just tell our listeners what a, what a typical day looks like for Ryan Quarles? Not necessarily the, the fun stuff, but maybe the mundane stuff that what a typical day looks like in your world. <laughs> and the answer is there is no typical day. Every day okay. is different. Uh, look, I got 200 plus employees and I'm here to support them. Uh, they're, they're experts in their own right. And so we're there to give them the tools and resources that they need. We work closely with all the farm organizations. And so there's lots of meetings. There's actually 80 different agriculture organizations in Kentucky, 80, and it continues to grow. And so we work with all of them. Uh, we have to deal with a lot with government relations so I spend a lot of my time talking with legislators, talking with other executive branch officials on a daily basis. And oh, by the way, Kentucky's a major player on the national level when it comes to agriculture. So usually three or four times a week, we have calls with the United States Department of Agriculture, the EPA, 
and to the surprise of some, the Food and Drug Administration too, uh, over whatever's going on in Washington, D.C. So we're constantly on the road. We're traveling basically from the beginning of spring to the end of fall. There is an agriculture event five or six nights a week somewhere in Kentucky. And I love attending these farm table dinners, farm bureau meetings, Kentucky cattlemen's. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And so there's a lot of trouble, a lot of phone calls, but I truly love my job. I feel that God has put me where I need to be at in life right now. I'm very grateful for that, very thankful. I feel really blessed right now. But to answer your question, the only thing that, that's in common every day is that you usually get fed well. In agriculture, we eat well. and so I have to watch my waistline sometimes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Will and I have always been fans of yours, but we're super jealous of those fun things you get to do like, like yeah. you did yesterday. <laughs> Speaking I do of love hunting. Look, we, we work closely with Fish and Wildlife. Uh, uh, the, the sporting, there's over 700,000 hunters and anglers in Kentucky. And oftentimes, where people hunt or fish are on privately owned farms. And so there's a lot of uh, overlap when it comes to that. And, and, and whether it's uh, promoting hunting, which is great because we want those deer out of our soybean fields. And we actually donate deer carcasses to our food banks. So we're helping feed the hungry. Or if we're trying to get a, get rid of invasive species like Asian carp in Western Kentucky, and I tell people, if you want to become a billionaire, be the first person to figure out how to get rid of kudzu, uh, <laughs> yeah. Kentucky. I, I mean, you you could you could write your own ticket, and look, we're looking for that solution. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the uh, those meals that you eat throughout the state, you have a you have a favorite Eastern Kentucky restaurant or or favorite ag product out of Kentucky. Well, you know, that's like asking which child is your favorite. I can't. <laughs> I know, right? I, I always, I always pick. Well, you out. did mention the Wrigley. Yeah, yeah. Wrigley's great. Uh, I love just about any home cooked meal products. There's nothing like a Kentucky, a Kentucky steak. I love it. I mean, our our beef cattle industry is the biggest East Mississippi. We're, we're, we're huge. We're it's a billion dollar industry, and but I like lamb as well. I, I've I've had some lamb recently out of Eastern Kentucky. It's great. But one thing I like, particularly about Eastern Kentucky, are, are the sweets and crafts and stuff like that. There's nothing like uh, sorghum on pancakes, uh, and that's more or less dominated by Eastern Kentucky is sorghum production, a lot of history there. There's also maple syrup coming out of Eastern Kentucky. We actually have 40 maple syrup farms, almost all of them in Eastern Kentucky. Wow. Doing well. I had no idea. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever replace the Canadians when it comes to maple, <laughs> but... We actually have one farmer that's putting the maple syrup in bourbon barrels. So now it's bourbon aged maple syrup from Eastern Kentucky. And uh, awesome. it's that's really cool. You know, you spoke to the great diversity of, of crops throughout Kentucky and how we've done that in, in a small amount of time. But there's also a large discussion lately around equity and inclusion in farming, especially in, in Kentucky. And one of those organizations, you say you work with a number of organizations throughout the state. One of those is, is Black Soil Kentucky, which they're doing a lot for Black farmers in Kentucky and then kind of bringing them back to their historic agricultural roots. Is that one of the organizations that you work with? And is that something that your administration focuses on, the, the equity in agriculture? Absolutely. In, in Kentucky, agriculture, as you mentioned earlier, we're, we're diverse not only on what we grow. We actually uh, grow 400 different types of crops and livestock commodities. We're a small farm state, which means when I travel from farm to farm, you're going to see things done differently. 
but we're also a community that's inclusive, that there's room at the table for anyone and everyone in Kentucky agriculture. And that includes, that includes anybody that's interested. And so we work with Black Soil, great organization. It's getting grant money out there for uh, minorities or socially disadvantaged groups, uh, particularly when it comes to high tunnels in Eastern Kentucky. We'd actually, uh, there was a big grant just announced a couple months ago about getting high tunnels in Eastern Kentucky. Another group that we work with beyond Black Soil is a group called Manners. And that is uh, a minority-based agriculture club uh, that's based at both Kentucky State University and the University of Kentucky. And, and believe it or not, uh, this is a nationwide organization. It kind of falls in the Greek system, but kind of not. And Kentucky has the top chapters in the nation. And so we work with them, uh, college-age kids that may want to find a job in agriculture. And uh, we, we sponsor uh, a lot of events and placements, et cetera. And so we are really aggressive when it comes to uh, making sure we have outreach, uh, regardless of someone's uh, background. That's, re- that's really cool. And obviously an important aspect to agriculture and farming. One of the things I want to ask you, you as a, I think I've read before, ninth generation farmer in Kentucky. Yeah. I don't know how large scale your, your family farming is, but I read somewhere that farmers really make about 19 cents to the dollar, especially small scale farmers. And, and it's not an easy, it's no. a very capital intensive industry. Yes. It's not easy to get started as a small scale farmer and large scales, they're a small percentage of the overall farms, but they make up almost half of the overall money or value of, of farming in throughout the country. Yeah. But, so you kind of give you context on that, we have 76,000 farms in Kentucky, and the average farm size is 170 acres. And look, when I was a kid, we started off with 85 acres uh, growing tobacco. We've expanded over the years. But when you go to a grocery store, uh, you're exactly right. Only 19 cents of every dollar you spend in a grocery store actually goes back to a farmer somewhere in America. And so that's why it's so important for us to focus on farmers markets, getting uh, Kentucky grown and processed products directly on the shelves of the grocery store because that keeps that money in our state and it cuts down on transportation costs. That the average distance that food travels from a farmer to your dinner plate is 1,500 miles in America. 1,500 miles. So we're trucking, we're constantly moving stuff back and forth. And I know that we can't grow every crop in Kentucky, but we can grow a lot of them. And I think when people taste a vote through taste buds, they're going to buy local, even if it may cost another another nickel. Uh, I think that there's really is a commitment there. And so there are small farms in Kentucky that are more profitable than large farms. Because once they figure it out, they know it's not just about how much land you have. That's not, that's just one limiting factor. It's really, what are you growing and how are you making yourself a little bit different in the competition? Yeah, that, that's really important. And that was kind of a follow-up that I had. I think, I don't know if you're still chairman, but at one time you were chairman of the Kentucky Agricultural Finance Corporation, yeah, still in, um, yeah. which, you know, provide either grants or loans to small farmers. Yeah. How does that process work? What would you say to small a small farmer or someone that wants to start a small farm? What, what advice would you give them? Well, fortunately, in Kentucky, we have assets that other states don't have. Due to the tobacco settlement agreement and the tobacco program, uh, we run both grants and uh, financial instruments like loans that are dedicated to Kentucky farmers. And in fact, on our loan side, half of all of our loans are dedicated to new and beginning farmers. And this allows us to loan out money at below market rate. We work with your traditional bank. And so we make it 
a little bit more affordable to buy that first farm or to put it in a chicken house or to upgrade your equipment so you can process on your farm, we make it more affordable compared to other states. And, and just a few weeks ago, we hit an important milestone. We have $100 million in our revolving loan portfolio at the Kentucky Ag Finance Corporation. And so each month we're lending out one or $2 million worth of loans. And a lot of these are going to uh, younger producers, which is exactly what we want. We want to encourage the next generation, especially when it's so capital intensive to get a farm started. Now on the grant side, we have the Ag Development Fund, which is housed at the Kentucky Department of Ag. And each year we provide the counties uh, what's called CAPE funding or county monies. And so this is money that is that is distributed and decided on strategically at the county level with what that farm community wants. And so over the course of the fund and, and you added the matching funds, over a billion dollars has been reinvested in Kentucky Ag over the past 20 years or so. And so this is something that other states don't have. It doesn't solve every problem, but I'll tell you what, it's the reason why we were able to transition from tobacco so successfully is that we've had some funds available to help finance the dreams of, uh, of entrepreneurs and farmers. So you're telling me that this chicken coop that my son keeps adding on to, I could have got, I could have got uh, money for. Well, I mean, <laughs> we want the money to come from the market when you're selling those eggs, right? but, but you know, if you wanted to upgrade your facilities, uh, just give us a call. You'd be surprised about what, what can be uh, accomplished. And, and look, we're looking at ag tech right now too. So it's not just about the production of food, or livestock, but it's actually about developing software and technologies that could be invented in Kentucky and then exported around the world. And so it's uh, not just cows, plows, and sows anymore. It's about everything ag. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I got to ask this question. We ask all of our, all of our folks that we have on th this question, and I know, I know you'll have a great answer for it, but I just want to know the first thing that comes to your mind very first thing on the tip of your tongue that comes to your mind when I say Appalachia. I'd say tradition and heritage. I, Love it. I, I know that you want me to answer that really quickly, but look, every time I go to Eastern Kentucky, it's like going home. Uh, everyone's nice. They're hard workers that when you shake somebody's hand, they, they mean it. I'm from Georgetown. I'm, I grew up in a great hometown, a great home county. We've grown so much. We've grown so much. We're the fastest growing county in Kentucky. And we're not the same community as we were when I was growing up. And so when I go to Appalachia, a lot of times it reminds me of my childhood when our community is quite a bit smaller, but everyone knew each other. Because right now, not everybody knows each other. The, 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 the Scott County natives, when you wave, they wave back. Sometimes <laughs> they moved in, you're like, oh, you're not from around here, but good to me i'll tell you that. that's so that's so funny because will and i have that same experience we we lived in pineville kentucky for a while and then yeah. we moved to london i was actually nine will and my all our other siblings are a whole lot older than me i was nine years old when we moved to london and we would be playing football or baseball or something out in the front yard and we would wave at our neighbors yeah and if they if they didn't wave back we immediately x'd them off the list <laughs> <laughs> The only time that I have not lived in London over the last, you know, since I was nine was the four years that I spent in Georgetown at, yeah. at Georgetown College. So yeah. uh, very friendly folks up there as well. So it's good, yeah. to, good to hear you say that. And we always talk about tradition and hardworking people of Appalachia on here. And really, that's our number one goal is just to gas up Appalachia. 
And awesome. so far, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of that. But yeah, it was just a great answer, perfect answer for for that question. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and speaking of tradition, uh, and, and you talked about the state fair earlier, but we heard from someone that you were the past tractor driving contest champion. <laughs> you have a trophy in your office for that. How, what, what comes I, with being the tractor ch- driving champion? Well, mainly bragging rights more than. <laughs> yeah, there's a trophy that has a tractor on top of it, but. One of the cool things that um, one of the few things I'll brag about is the 4-H and FFA tractor driving competitions. It's tough. It is a tough competition because I think how many farm kids across Kentucky are out there working every single day. The competition is skills-based. There's a safety test. And then you actually go out and maneuver an obstacle course. And you all know what a tobacco wagon looks like. You know, a 20-foot wagon, swivel front uh, on the tongue. And in order to separate the winners, you actually have an inch of clearance on each side. You have to back that wagon into a fictional shed. They put poles up and they put golf balls on top of the pole. So if you nudge the pole, oh falls off, wow. the score is deducted. And if you just completely take the post out, you know, it's like backing into, uh, into your grandmother's rose bush in front of the shed. <laughs> a complete disaster. My dad won it when he was in high school. I've had several uncles and cousins win it. And so my last year eligibility was in high school and I had not won it yet. And the pressure was on because I had <laughs> happy and I ended up winning it and uh, went on to the national tractor driving competition. But one of the funniest things is, is that my brother never won it. And so I like to remind him about that as often as I possibly can. <laughs> Today at the Kentucky State Fair, we still have the, the tractor driving competition. So it's just, it's a lot of fun. I but could definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah never winning stuff <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you a quick question Neil and I will be remiss if we didn't ask this but one thing that was uh, near and dear to my mom when she was working she worked at a middle school in in Laurel County and her job title she was a Kentucky Youth Service Center director and as part of that she worked with the Backpack Club of Laurel County which I think was originally started by Stacy Reed Shepherd in in Laurel County huh. Um, shout out to, to her. But as part of that, I think that kind of gets into your Kentucky hunger initiative. Yeah, um, it's, it's really important, I think, and, and a cool thing that you're doing throughout the state. But can you talk about that a little bit? Look, when I was growing up, we, we didn't grow up rich, but my dad had food on the table every night and we earned it. It wasn't until really high school that I started realizing there's people in Mahome County uh, who didn't have food at night. And then when I became a legislator and then later ag commissioner, I learned that that one in seven Kentuckians are food insecure. I mean, they may not know where their food comes from. It, it adversely affects the young folks and the elderly as well. And then when I took office, I decided to do something that's not required in law, not required in regulation. But in agriculture, a lot of times we focus on the production of food and we don't spend as much time on the consumer. And one and five Kentucky school kids are consumers who don't have access to high quality nutritious food throughout the year. And so we started the Kentucky Hunger Initiative uh, five years ago, not knowing a global pandemic was on its way. And it was a simple concept, connect our ag community with our food banks and food pantries and get more Kentucky proud food into the hands that, that need it. And I, I could spend an hour talking about this to talk about it in shorthand, the need is great. and. Over the past year and a half, Kentucky Ag has rose to the challenge. We've had 
500,000 eggs donated, 5,000 pounds of Kentucky cheese, 96,000 hamburger patties, countless gallons of milk, 10,000 pounds of, of Parnell's Old Folks Country Sausage donated and purchased with a big contribution from Kentucky Farm Bureau. The list goes on and on and on. But even today, as we emerge from COVID, there's still a 30% increase in the number of Kentuckians going to food banks and food pantries. The need is big. I spent a lot of time with our corporate community looking for donations, and we try to get a lot of that out across the states. And so we work closely with God Pantries Food Bank, which covers Eastern Kentucky. And look, if the listeners are out there that want to pitch in, there's three things you can do. Number one, if you want to donate money, go to feedingky.org feedingky.org. If you want to donate food, go to your local food pantry. Looking for uh, shelf-stable items, but sometimes we get stuff that's in season and it's perishable. And number three, if you can't donate time or money, uh, donate money or food, consider donating some time. We're constantly looking for volunteers at our food banks to, to pack those backpacks, to do distribution, to drop food off to people who may not own a car. Um, there's a lot of need out there. So feedingky.org. And we're going to continue to work to reduce food insecurity in Kentucky. That's great. That's wonderful. And I mean, it does a lot for those kids throughout the state that don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yeah. I I want to commend you for the work that you've done in in the department uh, these last two terms. I mean, it's really impressive what what you've done. And I know Neil and I both can can speak to that and, and say we, uh, appreciate everything that you've done. I, I know in the second administration, you've kind of focused on international trade, on ag tech, on kind of that urban rural uh, divide or, or kind of bringing them both together in regards to agriculture. What what do you have left in the two year, two remaining years uh, of, of this administration? And maybe what's, what's next for Commissioner Quarles? Yeah, so we're going to continue at our mission critical objectives, and that's feeding hungry Kentuckians, supporting our ag base, looking for new and emerging crops and livestock like sheep in eastern Kentucky. But we're going to focus and have been focused on rural broadband. It is so critical, especially with COVID compounding the problem, that we have access to high-speed quality internet no matter where you live in Kentucky, whether you're in a holler at the end of a dusty farm, farm road or in downtown Lexington or Louisville. It is time for us to finish out that final mile of high-speed quality internet and do it now. Because look, if you're learning from home, if you're running a business from home, or if you're farming today in the 21st century, you have to have connectivity. We've been focused on this for years. We're so fortunate that the General Assembly put in over $300 million this past budget cycle for broadband, Kentucky Wired, the infrastructure is built out at this point. There's other internet providers as well. But it's, it's the same thing that our great-grandparents did in the 1930s, and that was to provide electricity to every single house in Kentucky. We're doing that today with rural broadband. And then to answer your question about what's next, well, I still have two more years left. We're going to be productive. I'm going to be the best ag commissioner I possibly can be. And uh, just next week, um, I'm, I'm national president of all the ag commissioners in America. We're bringing them to Kentucky and we're going to be uh, showcasing Kentucky agriculture. So we'll see what's next. And uh, I love my job. I am getting a lot of encouragement to, to, to do something else. But right now I'm focused on being the best ag commissioner I possibly can be. That's perfect. I wanted to ask you something that we also ask all our guests. And you've already, a- you've already answered where, where you're from. But where do you call home? 
and what makes it home? What makes it unique for you? Yeah, well, I grew up in Scott County on a on an old hill farm, and that's home. Grew up in an old house, but my family's actually from Franklin County, and and we were we settled here in the 1780s. I'm ninth generation. In fact, when my family came here, Franklin County didn't exist. It was part of a larger territory. And so I call Central Kentucky home, and I think it's in my blood because whenever I see one of those rock fences uh, tore down or uh, there was a car wreck, I, I sometimes you can find me on the side of the road fixing up an old rock <laughs> fence in Kentucky. It's kind of a hobby of mine, but that's home. But really, I feel comfortable anywhere in my state. Uh, Kentucky's one big small town, and I feel that I can walk in just about any county in Kentucky and know somebody that I know. They're good people. They treat you right. And so I just love my state. Love it. That's a great, great answer. Obviously, there's no wrong answer. And it's always interesting to hear hear people's answer to that to that question, no matter where they're from, whether they're from Appalachia yeah. or not. It's it, it, it's always inspiring. I wanted to ask you this, and Neil doesn't agree with this question. This is not something we ask everyone, but we've had a series on Appalachia Foodways, and you were kind of the final guest on that series. So I, ha- I have to ask you this question too. As your last meal. What would you have as your last meal? Neil, Neil doesn't agree. Neil doesn't like this question. He doesn't like to think about his last meal, but it, would you have a last meal? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, what, it's kind of a morbid question, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. What do you want on your tombstone? That's what's kind of, <laughs> you know what? I love barbecue. I, uh, some uh, barbecue spare ribs, um, some, uh, some good, uh, uh, asparagus from a Kentucky farm. You know, Kentucky's big asparagus producer as well. Some Kentucky proud ice cream, and then a prayer as well to hope to hopefully say this isn't my not my life. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> no, I like uh, it. Next, he may ask what twelve disciples you'll have at the table with you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will ask though. I, I took my uh, wife to Keeneland. Uh, she, she's from, I live in Cleveland. I don't think I said that at the beginning. Yeah. Unfortunately, okay. I, I've been trying to make it back to Appalachia uh, my whole adult life. I haven't done it yet, but um, I, I took my wife to Keeneland and, and a cold, a cold October day in Keeneland. There's nothing like Kentucky Burgoo uh, at, at Keeneland. Yep. 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 Have you had it there at Keeneland and, and would you recommend it? Oh yeah. I, oh, I don't know what they put in it, but I, and I don't know if it's legal what they put in it, but <laughs> I, it gets keeps me coming back. Uh, Burgoo is great. Um, it warms you up, but also the bread pudding at Keeneland as well. Oh, I've never yeah. had that. Yeah, I have. It's oh, excellent. Really good. really good. Now, I've been to some festivals where they've been making Burgoo out in the back parking lot, and you don't exactly know what's in it, but it tastes great. <laughs> Speaking of oh, fest- our, festivals, our are have you ever seen the world's largest frying pan down at? The- I have. I've been to the chicken festival many a times. I've campaigned there. I'm glad to have all those fire trucks sitting there right next to it in case <laughs> yes. the largest skillet turns into the world's largest grease fire. I love the chicken festival. I love it. It's uh, obviously, we're, you know, being from here, we're uh, always in attendance at something. But we've already mentioned the Mount Laurel Festival our family's been a part of for, oh, it seems like a million years always appreciate your presence there as well yeah we definitely want to thank you for your time today too we, we know you're busy and we, we appreciate you taking the time and, and appreciate really everything that you've done for the department and for kentucky hey yep. it's an honor like i said earlier i feel blessed by god to be where i'm at and uh, i'm gonna make the most of the next, next two years but heck i'm just a simple farm kid grew up on a tobacco farm it's just an honor to get to serve people in this capacity every day 
We appreciate your tireless work. Thanks a lot. Thank you all. God bless you. juggernaut dude i don't know how we got ryan curls to agree to talk to us but i'm awful glad he did he was dropping some uh dropping some knowledge some great political taglines you know really explained things very well about what he does and what the agricultural office is in charge of and really you know i don't, I don't know if there's a, a day of the week that the guy uh is able to rest you know, he's got all kinds of stuff going on, and I commend him for, you know, participating in all of it. You you can obviously tell he's knowledgeable about his work, but also very passionate sure. about his work. I think that's easy to see, and more importantly, you know, he, he is a farmer, and, and to have somebody with that much tradition in farming as the commissioner of agriculture in your state is a pretty cool uh, aspect. It's a perfect fit perfect fit and he does a tremendous job i look forward to what's next for him and you know i'm thrilled to that he's so active and out there and and a tireless worker he fits that description that we mentioned about appalachia uh, you know hard working grinders i mean he fits that perfect um, yeah even so though I, even though he's not appalachian i think appalachia can can claim him as as one of their own, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. At least uh, Eastern Kentucky, Appalachia. Yeah, we'll claim him. We'll claim him down here in, down here in the deep woods. We'll I tried to slip him. that question in of what's next. I thought he answered that very, well, obviously politically correct, but I felt like he really um, – Genuine? Ge- well, yes, was very much genuine in let's see. Let's, let's see what's next. I mean, he's not – he didn't shut the door to anything. That's true. And he didn't commit to anything. So, you know, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. I thought he, he's a great representation of what a commissioner or an elected official should be doing for the people. I can, I can tell you this. It's not the first time somebody's asked him that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and it sounded like he was expecting it from the beginning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he was. Well, we definitely appreciate that he took the time. But I think, like he said in the beginning, he's always willing to talk about Kentucky, but it's also important to let people know what they're doing and, and how they're doing it, how important it is for the state and for Appalachia. Yep. He's got my vote. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, moving in, moving on to, to our of place segment, is there anything that kind of captured your mind this week or today or during that interview that, that you'd like to share with us tonight? No, there, there was a lot that well, while he was talking just, you know, made me think of us growing up and, and Papa's farm and all the things that he did there. But, but one of the things that really kind of resonated was even when we were talking about it before we had, had him on just around farmer's markets. And I just wanted to uh, talk about going to a local farmer's market here in Cleveland. A couple of weekends ago, I went to a farmer's market with, with my kids. There was a stand there, had some cantaloupes. My kids love cantaloupes, some watermelons, some tomatoes. We picked up various produce. When I got my receipt, the farm was Cora's Family Farm in Salem, Ohio. 
in Salem, Ohio is Appalachia, Ohio. So here I am yeah. in Cleveland shopping at the farmer's market. You know, when you shop at farmer's market, you think that the farmers are just in your local community, but that's not the case. These farmers take their produce all over the state in, in neighboring states. They come from Appalachia, go outside of Appalachia to sell. So it's important not only to, you know, support, I, I can support Appalachia here, here in Cleveland at my local farmer's market, which I think is an awesome way to not only support local farmers, not only support the community, but also support Appalachia while I'm here. Yeah. I just thought it was really cool uh, when I got that receipt and to see where they were from, to know that not only were my dollars going to my community and to those farmers, but a little piece of Appalachia as well. On top yeah. of that, we highlight, I highlight that farm, but also want to highlight a farm there where you are, you know, compare and contrast. We always like to go at inside and outside of Appalachia, but there's a farm there in London, Sustainable Harvest Farm. Have you ever heard of that in London? Sustainable Harvest. No. That, that was one of the first organic farms in your region and also one that started the CSA program there in London, which, you know, you can get your fruits and vegetables through the local CSA. It's a really good farm. I just want to give it a shout out, you know, check it out, um, go online. It's a good story, cool story. They're not actually from that area, but they moved that area just to start their farm just to become part of the local community there in Appalachia. So we have people moving from outside Appalachia to Appalachia to start a farm. And we have farmers in Appalachia coming to Cleveland to sell their produce. You, you know, you can go to farmer's markets all over and represent Appalachia and also contribute to Appalachia no matter where you are. You know, lots of good stuff going on in Appalachia. And I'm just glad that, that we get a chance to highlight some of that stuff. And I hope that our listeners out there will will take our words of encouragement and look into some of this stuff. I know everybody's busy, but uh, there's some really great things going on around us. Uh, if we take a moment and just tap into tap into some of them, yeah. If you want to find your local CSA, your local farmers market, there's a organization out there, website out there, localharvest.org. You can search for any local restaurant, any CSA, any farmers market on that site. Pretty, pretty cool if, you, if you're interested in, in supporting your local farmer. Yes, sir. Again, thanks to Commissioner Quarles. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for his time. We, we appreciate it respectfully. And I also wanted to say, like we did last episode, if you like what you're hearing, you know, support us. Give us a thumbs up. Like us on Facebook. Holler at us on Instagram. Tweet about it. Do, do all what, the above and share, share with a friend. Get the word out there. Yeah, tell somebody else about Appalachian Meets World. And it's also, if you have a recommendation, if you'd like to see somebody on the episode, shoot us an email. It's AppalachianMeetsWorld at gmail.com. We're, we're going to be I'm finishing good. out, like I said, we're going to be finishing out the, the Appalachian Foodway series. But, you know, Appalachian food, Appalachian makers are never going to stop on this show. Um, Appalachian every, appetizers. <laughs> come on. Every episode will have an appetizer. That's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But we'll also continue to have and support organizations that uh, represent Appalachia and Appalachian Foodway. Sir. Uh, I, I guess I'll end it like I always do. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. 
Now I'm facing down with a grin I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains